Hello and welcome to Smart Pill, a podcast where each episode delivers concentrated knowledge on one specific topic. The podcast is brought to you by the WHRO Emerging Leaders Board, a diverse group of young professionals who are passionate about bringing public media to a millennial generation. I'm your host, Ryan McIntyre. This is the second of a special three-part episode called Origin Stories, live storytelling recorded at the beautiful Wells Theater in downtown Norfolk. The night featured three young professionals, Don, Isaac, and Phil, sharing stories of inclusion and beginnings in geek culture. Isaac Schneider is a technical consultant and artist, and Zach shares what he finds frustrating in his own community. You're always too white for your Asian peers, and to white people, you're always that Asian guy over there. As well as why he thinks things are getting better. You know, I think people are going to be more inclusive, so you're not going to get as many people who alienate themselves. His matter-of-fact style and willingness to laugh at himself make him a great addition to the night. So let's welcome our next speaker to the stage, Zach Schneider. Alright, so I'm just going to start this off by saying that I think I still find the words geek and nerd to be derogatory. I know some of you own that stuff. I, I know some of you are like, wow, you know, that's me and I'm proud of it. But, mm, I don't know, I think it's always been used in sort of a pointed way. And it, it, it's, it's hard to ignore that history, that's for sure. And, you know, you could compare having, you know, niche interests and trying to juggle fitting in societally, I guess sort of to being biracial, and this is, this is a serious thing, and maybe it's why I don't like being labeled. Maybe it's why, you know, I feel uncomfortable about all of that. And so, you know, I grew up half Asian, half white, and I never really fit in either group, and eventually I stopped wanting to. You're always too white for your Asian peers, and to white people, you're always that Asian guy over there. <laughs> you know, you're the guy who's good at math, knows martial arts, and, uh, you know, can fix all their computers. And sadly, I fit all three, but, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, boy, I, I, got, I got a little too into that part. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we could also say that, you know, you can't really escape from that identity. That's something you're born into, just like being an introvert, and that's something I'll probably touch on later. And a lot of this just comes from observation and... We could really state that there's a definitive difference between being passionate about something and letting that passion turn into an obsession and negatively affect your life. And, you know, that was almost me for a time, most definitely. And I, I think, like, a good example of it was when I finally went to college and I got into ODU. I, w I was in TCC for a bit before that while I was still in high school, but that's a different story. But, uh, so, I was at ODU and... I ran into ODU Anime Club, and that, that was definitely an example of the latter. Like, it, I, I, for once, felt really embarrassed to share the same interests as a group of people. And I'm not even trying to be funny about it, but it is pretty funny. <laughs> and um, so I was like, wow, th this, is th this is like the result of a, a process, a process that starts when people are young. And, uh, you know, th this set of circumstances is just all too common. And it definitely starts from an early age. So it's like you get kids who are introverted and, you know, they feel shunned by their peers because they're introverted, actually. That could be one thing. Or it could be looking different or just being too different culturally. 
Those are things that can make you know, people feel unaccepted. And when people don't feel accepted, they're going to turn to activities they could do by themselves. And you know, then later in life, they start to have a low self-opinion. They start to not want to try to you know, interact with others. They form very insular social groups with other like-minded people who are also obsessed of things. And a lot of the time, people develop like an obsession with a thing, and it becomes that form of like escapism. It's something that they're constantly doing. And for some people, it was like online games. For other people, it was you know, a variety of different things. And it's like you, you get to the point where a person just keeps, keeps on interacting with only like-minded people. And they don't have that diversity in their interactions. And eventually, you're going to get a person who comes out and doesn't understand the relevancy of a topic or who their audience is. And they're not paying attention to other things that you know, make us fit in society and make us fit in with our peers. They don't get it because they've never had the chance to. And you know, that leads us to another point. You know, in the geek community, there's, there's a surprising amount of gatekeeping, bitterness, and negativity. And oftentimes, it's toward people who are outside of the group that they've made now. It's like people are ostracized, and then they form their own group. And now someone else who maybe they feel like used to pick on them or is someone who's now different, the other, they're now trying to enter their group, invade their activity, and they feel like their identity is being taken away. But it's not a zero-sum game. Just because someone wants to participate in something you're interested in doesn't mean they're taking it away from you. That's not how it works. And they feel like their form of escapism, their world, is being invaded. And that's why you get all this backlash. And, you know, I think group identity as a whole is a pretty poisonous thing because you're, you're not getting a diverse set of, like, experiences or opinions or interactions. It leads to ideas mutating because you have people who just never see anything else and they, they feel defensive. They feel like that identity of their group supersedes them as a person. So when someone criticizes, let's say, gamers, you know, a lot of people are up in arms and... You see those comments on YouTube, you see those comments elsewhere, and they're embarrassing. They're extremely embarrassing. And it's like, do I want to identify as being a gamer? In those cases, absolutely not. And I mean, that, that's a hobby. It's not like a major facet of my life, but that's just an example there. But you know, the solution to that is actually having more diversity. It's having more interactions with different people so you could get those different perspectives and really widen your own perspective. It's being able to see things from a lot of different angles. And I guess a good example of that was actually when I, also when I first came to ODU. So they had this pool hall called the Lion's Den. And in the back, they had some free Xboxes attached to some TVs or whatever. And people, people would bring a lot of like bite games. And you know, a lot of people would show up to play these, people that I never expected to be like you know, playing video games, people from a lot of different backgrounds. And it was, it was a really cool experience, because I got to meet a lot of people who you know, also like doing the same thing. And I think that's, uh, that's one big reason why I got into fight games and why I like them a lot. And we have a really good community in Southern Virginia. I've been slacking on going, but, <laughs> you know, it is good. But, you know, real life responsibilities always come first. I mean, if you, if you saw my profile before you got here, it looked more like a LinkedIn profile than a description. But I don't know. I, I, I guess work has become an increasingly and encroaching part of my life. But... <laughs> Right, let me get back on topic, because, you know, they got a little too personal there. <laughs> so, you know, it was a, a really good opportunity to meet new people, surprisingly, even though it was kind of a niche hobby. But, you know, a lot of different people were there. 
and it was cool. It was, it was a nice experience. And like our community down here, in our fight game community, they're, they're actually pretty welcoming. If you want to learn, they'll teach you. And I, I think that's pretty cool. I don't think it's like that everywhere. I think there, there's some communities that are just full of assholes and you know, no, no one actually wants to teach each other. It's all about holding in the secrets. But no, people actually want their scene to be more competitive here. And you know, that, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that they're trying to be more inclusive of anyone who wants to come. Oh look, we just used the word of the night, inclusive. <laughs> right? So, I mean, let, let, let me step back and not bash Anime Club that much, because on a certain level, they actually were pretty inclusive. You know, people weren't really discriminated based on their skin color or their gender for the most part, at least on a surface level. You know, from some stories that my friends told me, it was like, one of my friends, she likes to cosplay. And every time they made a cosplay group, wow, I almost just mixed up an L for an R. Just, just showing how Asian I am right now. But, uh, <laughs> so every time that would happen, they would basically expect her to play a dark-skinned or black character because she happened to be black. And I was like, there's still a lot of underlying bias, you know, despite not you know, being openly hostile about it. And I think there's still some gender bias as well in, in other things. So, you know, no groups without their problems, but, you know, for, it, it, it could have been a lot worse. As I've progressed through the years, I, I've realized that I think each new generation is becoming a lot more inclusive. I don't think we're going to see as many geek stereotypes in, let's say, three college generations. So, like, 12 years from now. You know, I think people are going to be more inclusive, so you're not going to get as many people who alienate themselves. You're not going to get as many people who just exist in these insular bubbles. Like, you know, just from seeing my little cousins, they're a lot more accepting of other people of different gender identities, other people with different skin colors, different, different backgrounds. And I'm really actually impressed by the younger generation being more accepting. Not that I'm that old right now, but, you know, I certainly feel old at 26, <laughs> bordering 27. Feel like half my life's over, man. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, nowadays, it's like a lot of uh, niche interests, they're, they're now coming into pop culture. Geek culture is becoming pop culture, and it definitely is pop culture. It dominates pop culture now. I mean, look at how popular the Marvel movies are and how bad most of the DC movies are. Whoops. <laughs> you know, you look at that stuff, you realize, wow, geek culture is like front and center. It's front and center in America and probably worldwide at this point. I mean, because those properties are popular in other countries, too, for sure. Um, and, you know, if we go back to, like, the, the early 90s, you know, anime and video games, that, that was some turbo nerd stuff right there. You know, that, that, that was some, like, really niche stuff. And I think a lot of it has to do with accessibility. And, you know, for, for comparison's sake, now we have, like, rappers from Compton making Nardo references, so... <laughs> You know, that's a good piece of contrast there. But, you know, back to the topic of accessibility. It's like the more people that could access a form of media, the more acceptable it's going to be because it lowers that entry barrier. You're not having the entry barrier of, let's say, finances or the entry barrier of having to find something and that being very difficult. You know, an N64 back when it first came out was probably more expensive than any console on the market right now. You know, if you go back and compare that currency then to what we spend now. So our entertainment media is cheaper. And in terms of like foreign films and anime and all that stuff, 
We have like Netflix. We have streaming services now. It's at your fingertips. You don't have to search hard and special order a foreign movie. You know, now if I want to watch like, uh, I don't know, a Korean film, I could just go on Netflix and watch it. Or, you know, any, any other streaming service you like. That's probably one of the better ones. <laughs> and, you know, we've gotten to the point where the niche is now mainstream. Yeah, I just wanted to use that line. <laughs> and, yeah, so I'm an adult now, and I think that I've, I've come to terms with a lot of this stuff, and I've realized that you could like things and not be defined by them. Because there's a difference between letting that thing define you and simply liking that thing and acknowledging that you like that thing. And you don't have to like its community. You don't even have to like its creator. You could be able to separate those things from why you like something. Because we all like things because we personally enjoy them, I would hope. <laughs> I definitely have a lot of hobbies now, but I don't describe myself as a musician. I don't describe myself as an artist often. And maybe it's because I feel like I'm not good enough at those things yet. I got a long way to go. But, you know, at the same time, I definitely don't like describing myself as an IT professional. You know, I used to call it internet toilet cleaning for Uncle Sam. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, now I don't work for Uncle Sam anymore. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not part of USA, and I'll, I'll let you work that one out yourself. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So I, I think that if we have more inclusivity both outside the wall of geekdom and also inside, I think more people are going to be more comfortable to participate in these things. And that way, you know, we're, we're going to have less tension, less people feeling like they should be ashamed of it. I don't think people should be ashamed of their interests like I was. But I do have a lot of hope for the future. I think our future generations will do a good job of that. I just realize I'll be too old to enjoy it. Well, folks, you've done it again. You've taken your smart pill, and you're better for it. If you'd like to see photos of Zach and the other storytellers, you can find links in the episode description, as well as links to Dawn and Phil's stories. Zach's work can be seen and heard in the Hampton Roads area, where he's a regular performer. Smart Pill is brought to you by the WHRO Emerging Leaders Board, a group of millennial professionals in their 20s and 30s who believe in the power of public media to make their voices heard. The podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Emerging Leaders event series, bringing critical information and important conversation to the people in Hampton Roads and across the country. The podcast is produced by Keith Saunders, Ryan McIntyre, and Truly Matthews, and produced in association with WHRO. Sound recording and technical assistance by Victor Bowen. Special thanks to WHRO Director of Community Engagement, Nancy Rogan, the WHRO Marketing Department, Brad Tuggle, and the Virginia Stage Company. On behalf of the Emerging Leaders Board, I'm your host, Ryan McIntyre, and I'll talk to you again when it's time to take your smart pill. <laughs>